This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. All right. Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Well, good morning. Morning. It's good to be with so many of us today. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us as we continue to engage with God together as a community this morning. And so I just want to welcome you, whether it's your first time here or you've been coming almost since the very beginning, 19 and a half years ago. So thankful that you chose to join us today. When you walked in, you should have received a program, and there are a few things you're going to want to grab out of that because they'll help you know where we're going throughout our time together. The first is your all-access pass to our leadership team. That's your Start Here card. This is the way that we could support you and partner with you if you have a prayer request or a question. If you want to get connected into ministry, it's all right here. So go ahead and get that filled out with your name. And if you're a guest with us, your email address. And if I earn your trust over the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to invite you when the baskets are passed just to drop this into the basket. So you can go ahead and get that ready. And don't forget, I can see you. So if you're just staring at me and not doing it, uh, I'm not above calling people out. So you might want to go ahead and get that ready because uh, we'll be using that a little bit later. The other thing you're going to want are your teaching notes. They've got the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks that would hopefully spark some conversation or some dialogue with you, with your housemates, maybe your kids, or your spouse, because my hope would be that something that happens here this morning would spark a thought or a question or an idea. And actually, I'm okay with you totally disagreeing with me. Because the truth is, if you agree with everything a pastor says every Sunday in church, you might be at the wrong church. Because the goal of this gathering is community and worship and being together and forming relationships and then engaging with God's word in a way that inspires and challenges us and causes us to think. And so I would invite you, go ahead and use those notes uh, as we continue our time today. Well, I'm going to jump right in because there's so much going on that's packed in here. I don't want to shortchange the end and start talking like the micro machine man at the end of my message. Who remembers that guy? Anybody? The micro machine man? If you don't, it's a throwaway. Don't worry about it. But basically, it was the fidget spinners of the late 80s. That's what micro machines were. Tiny little cars that did nothing that were crazy. It was, it was micro machines, then it was pogs, now it's fidget spinners. It's very exciting. The progression of junk that we pedal to our kids. And all that extra time I had is now gone. So let's just jump in. Hey, we are in this series called The Contrarian's Guide, or A Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And what we're looking at, if I could boil it down to its core, what we're looking at this series is how can we grow in our relationship with Jesus? How can we become spiritually mature people? People who know God in an ever-increasing way and really uh, walk in partnership with Him. And it's a contrarian's guide because there's a very typical model to spiritual growth that most churches have that we are wholly unsatisfied with. And the typical model goes like this. If you know more and you do more, you will experience transformation. Know more and do more and you'll grow spiritually. But that is not the case in the vast majority of our lives. When we say no more, people are talking about knowing more of their Bible, um, knowing more theology, knowing more of the, like reading more Christian books that go along with the Bible. And what we find is that if you're in a good church, and by the way, in case you were wondering, you are in a good church. And if you're in a good church, which you are, 
Wow, I'm glad you agree, and you agree. It's too late, you guys. The moment has passed. If you're going to clap, you got to go all in, okay? Pretend Steph Curry just hit a three-pointer to win game five, and it's done. Clap like that if you're going to do it, people. All right, I'm bringing my best. you got to give me something back. So here's the thing about no more. If you're in a good church, and you are, There's going to come some point in your spiritual life where you will know the foundation of Christianity. You will know a lot about God. And that's the point when most of us start to say to a pastor or a friend or our life group, well, the church isn't deep enough. There's got to be more. I got to know more. Because we hit this saturation point where we know the basics, the fundamentals, enough of the faith. And we assume there's a hidden thing that maybe the pastor is keeping from us or our life groups are keeping from us. And actually, when the early church, after Jesus died and rose again, when they started forming these gatherings, there was a movement of this very idea that there must be the secret knowledge that only a few people can know. And a group came along called the Gnostics, and they got their name from the word in the original language for knowing, which was gnosis. And the Gnostics said, there is a deeper spirituality. There is a hidden thing, and only a few of us know it. And if you really want to know it, you have to come to us. Then there was this guy, Paul, who was a prolific church planner and thinker. He was one of the most brilliant minds of his day, who went around planning churches and leading them and writing letters, which found their way into the New Testament of the Bible. And Paul fought against this idea that there was this deeper knowledge. Paul said, no, there's not some hidden secret knowledge that only a few know. In fact, Paul said, Jesus came to give us God's Spirit, and God's Spirit lives inside of us. And what does God's Spirit do? Well, among other things, God's Spirit reveals God to us and leads us to truth, which means every Jesus follower can know God. So here's the problem. We get to a place in our spirituality, and it's a good place because you're in a good church. And whether it was at New Life or some other church in our community, we get to a place in our spirituality where we've been taught the foundation of our faith, and we think there must be more. So we start saying, I got to know more. I got to know more. And then we move to a different church where they're basically teaching the same thing, just packaged a little bit differently. And we feel like we're learning more until we feel like we've heard everything that they have to say. And then we move to the next. Because at some point, like a sponge, we hit saturation in this knowing more idea. And then we think, well, if I already know enough, then I must not be doing enough. I must not be going to church enough or doing enough Bible studies or serving enough or giving enough. So we start doing more. But we've all met people who know a ton and do a ton and are kind of turned off and bitter and burnt out in their faith. So it raised the question for us. We said there must be more than simply knowing more and doing more. And Jesus actually says there is something more but it's not what you would expect. He says the thing that we miss oftentimes in our spiritual development is not that we don't know enough, because in North America, most Christians know plenty. It's not that we don't do enough, because let's be honest, we are in a do, do, do culture. Type A, driven, get more done. Jesus says the thing that you're missing is transformation. And here's how transformation is found in Jesus' own words. And we're going to pick it up in John chapter 15. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip to John 15. If you want to use your smart device, you can search for it. It's up on the screens. It's also in your notes. Jesus says this, Remain in me as I remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, and here's the promise, you will bear much fruit. You will be spiritually mature. You will be knowing more and doing more and experiencing transformation because you're doing it with me. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Now, that word remain in the original context has the idea of an ongoing staying or remaining. What he's saying is, if you keep coming, if you keep engaging, if you, if you don't give up and walk away, if you, and here's the word we've been talking about a lot, if you learn how to engage with me, well, then the fruit will be a transformed life. The fruit of that engagement will be that you will want to know me more deeply. And you will, by nature, then follow me more fully and produce good fruit. So in this series, we've been asking the question, how can we engage with God? And there's a chart in your notes that we've looked at quite a bit, but in case you're new with us, I want to throw it back up here again. On one side, we have God gives his thoughts. That's no more. On the other side, we have I obey God. That's do more. But everything that happens in between knowing more and doing more is where the good stuff happens. In between knowing God's thoughts and obeying God is engaging with God. And we've said that engaging with God takes a lot of different forms. One of the worst things we can do is hear what God says and then just shove it down and pretend like God didn't say it. And so we've said it's actually better to get angry at God. That's what the lightning bolt is. To get angry at God and say, God, I disagree with you. And fight it out with him. Say, God, I I know what you say about marriage. I don't like it. God, I know what you say about generosity. I don't like it. It would be better to do that, to wrestle with God and fight. By the way, in the end, you're going to lose. But that's okay. God is like a perfect heavenly father. I'm at the KOA on a little staycation with my kids right now. My parents came up with their trailer, and so we're camping. And we were in the pool yesterday and landed. My little man, uh, he's six years old. He's like starting to wrestle. He's got his goggles on, you know, in the pool. He's trying to wrestle with me. And so he's hitting and kicking and doing what kids do. And at one point, I just lifted him up in one hand and held him over my head. Like, son, you are not going to win this battle, but I love wrestling with you. And then I threw him into the water and all the moms gasped. I said, he's, he's a Christian. It's okay. We know where he's going. Son, no. I, I didn't actually say that. Let's cut that out of the recording. Um, But I would throw him in the water, tell the teenage lifeguard, said, sir, you can't throw people in the pool. And I hung my head in shame. But but here's what God wants. God's like a perfect father. He wants to wrestle this stuff out with us. God would much rather we do like the author of many of the Psalms and say, I don't agree with you, God. I don't like it, God. Let's talk about it. And then the rest of that process of engaging is how we talk about it with God. We'll start asking questions. God, why do you say that? I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. And then we turn to the Bible, and God gives us insight about why he says the things he does. And then we go to community, and I keep saying that community is a gift that God has given us. That sometimes God speaks through the voices of the community and says, this is why this thing is so important. And then we just experiment with God's. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about faith, because the author of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? Well, 
the snapshot of faith is faith is trusting God enough to experiment with the things that God says and then watching God for the outcome. And in the process of that engagement, God begins to change our heart. We've said this, that before we were followers of Jesus, we had this nature, and and you can picture the nature like this. This old nature that was apart from God, it pulled us in a direction that was oftentimes away from God. Not always, sometimes it pulled us towards God, but oftentimes it was at odds with God and pulled away. And then when we became followers of Jesus, God implants a new nature into us, and it's an infant form. And then as we remain, like Jesus says, God fills us with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works with our nature so that we actually think the things that God thinks, and we begin to want the things that God wants, and we begin to do the things that God wants for us, for ourselves, our family, and the world. And that is, friends, the process of spiritual maturity. So this whole series, we've been talking about how do we engage with God in a way that we're growing in our faith. But this whole chart up here assumes two things. One, it assumes that God speaks. That if we actually come to God, God will speak to us. And two, it assumes that we actually can hear God's voice and discern it. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about how we hear God's voice. And while I do that, I think it's important to talk about language. Because a lot of churches have swung the pendulum one of two ways. Either they assume God doesn't speak, or we use language that assumes that God has spoken and that settles it, and we take advantage of it. So, for example, maybe if you were raised in the church, you experienced abuse of the idea of God or God's Spirit speaking to you. I've seen it used to, to keep kids in line in a way that's unhealthy. I've seen it used to direct churches in a way that is painful, where people say, you know what, God said this, now you have to go do it. I have pe- I've had people come to me, not at New Life, and say, God said this thing, you need to go do it. In fact, I had someone, when my wife and I were first getting married, come up to us and say, God said that Kevin's going to die in his early 30s. How would you like to be engaged to someone and have someone say, I have a prophecy, a word of God for you. Kevin's going to die in his early 30s. Now, if you can't tell from my perfectly shaped head, I am well beyond my early 30s at this point. (laughs) My hair is migrating south for the winter of my life. And I did not die. And so you know what the Bible says to do with someone who gives a prophecy like that? The book of Deuteronomy says you discount that prophecy, and you discount everything that person has ever said. You cut them out. And there are other spots where it says, and you stone them to death. But we're not going to talk about that because it's legal in California now. So uh, we're not going to talk about that. But wait for it. But second service, y'all. This is what happens. But what I do want to talk about is when we on stage, myself or Pastor Ron or Pastor Angela, maybe in your life group, when we say God said this to me or I'm sensing from God or the Holy Spirit prompted, here's what we mean at New Life, just so we all have common language. No matter what the words are, what we mean is we are sensing from God's Spirit a movement or a direction or a leaning with various levels of certainty. So we could be 90% sure that's what God's saying. We might be 50% certain that that's what God's saying. And then what we do is we hold it with open hands and we walk through some filters that I'm going to share with you in a little bit to try to discern or figure out, is this you, God? 
but you won't hear us. And again, you'll hear different language from stage. God told me this. God said that. What we mean is we are sensing the Holy Spirit speaking or prompting with a, certain, with a level of certainty, and then we hold it openly. What we don't mean is this is a word from the Lord that you must do, or a prophecy necessarily. And if we did mean that at some point, we would be very clear about what we were saying, because in the Bible, that is a big statement. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to talk today about what it looks like to increase the chances that we actually can hear from God. And then once we have heard from God, what do we do? What filters can we run to try to figure out, is that you, God? And I want to do it by looking at this uh, passage in the book of Acts. And Acts was written by a doctor named Luke, and it kind of chronicles the spread of the early church once Jesus died, rose again, and went to heaven. The early church began to spread until it finally became the major religion of the Roman Empire. And Acts chronicles the story of this early church movement written by this doctor named Luke. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 13. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. For our context, we can say these are church leaders or leaders of that church. There was Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up in the household of Herod, and Saul. Now, here's the great thing about Luke. Luke, like most doctors, is really good at noticing detail. And so Luke writes detail into his stories and his documents that most of us miss on a quick reading. And I want to I see if you caught the detail. Luke gives us the names of these church leaders. We have Saul, who's a Jewish man. We have Barnabas, who's from Cyprus, which was an island south of present-day Turkey. We've got Simeon, who was a North African black-skinned man. We have Lucius, who was most likely a black-skinned man from Libya. We have Manian, who grew up in royalty in the household of Herod. And these are the leaders of this church. And it's hard to imagine a more diverse group of leaders in one church, isn't it? And I love it. Because one of the ways that leadership hears the voice of God is when we get a diverse group of people together who have different lenses and filters through which they experience God and hear God. And that diverse group of leaders comes together and prays and hears from God and then puts it out and filters it through various lenses. Now, I want to take a minute and talk to you about something that I know keeps you up at night, church leadership. I want to talk, I know. See, one of my jobs as your pastor is to know the felt needs of our church and I know one of the things you guys have needed to know recently is how do you lead this church, Kevin? So I want to take five minutes and tell you how we do it. We have two leadership teams that oversee this church. The first is our pastoral staff. And the role of the pastoral staff is to oversee and lead teams that do day-to-day ministry in the church, whether that's preaching and teaching or life groups or children's ministry or guest services or missions. We have our, our Mexico team out right now that are kind of doing a scouting trip. They're building a house, working in an orphanage. They're asking questions of the local community. How can we best serve you moving forward? So oversee missions, oversee finance and worship. This is our pastoral team. They do day-to-day ministry of the church. And then I've got a second leadership team at at the same level called our spiritual stewards. And our spiritual stewards' job is to zoom out and ask big questions about paradigms that will affect our church in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So for example, when a number of years ago, we wanted to ask some questions about what God's heart is towards men and women in leadership in the church. And by the way, as we studied and read, we sensed that God believes that men and women can be at all levels of leadership in the local church. 
But the spiritual stewards zoomed out for six months, and we studied the Bible, and we prayed together, and we read books on both sides of the topic to ask questions about a paradigm that will affect the church. One of the paradigms we're looking at, uh, this is what I do. So some of us nerd out in different ways. This is how I nerd out when I'm not with you. Um, I look at church trends across the country. And did you know that right now, there's an alarming trend. Millennials, and let me get a shout out from some millennials. Any millennials in the house? Yeah. All right, well, this will point to that trend, so that's okay. But we're getting it. Millennials are actually leaving the church like no other generation in the history of the church. Which means if a church does not figure out how to engage millennials, because it's not that they don't love God, they do. It's not that they don't believe in, in a community, a gathering, they do. But the church in North America is missing something about how to engage with millennials. And if we don't figure out what's going on there, we will, in 10 years and 20 years, have a whole gap, a whole generation missing from the church. And that is wholly unacceptable to God. And so the spiritual stewards will sit with me and we'll spend six or eight months reading books about how to engage with millennials. What's the right next step? What kind of churches are they drawn to? How do we engage this community? And then we'll take what we're learning and we'll do best practices with our pastoral staff on day-to-day ministry. Does this make sense how this works? So the stewards zoom out and ask big questions. And then the staff does day-to-day ministry. And maybe eight months ago, back in September, October, as I was praying about this and reading these passages of Scripture about having a diverse leadership team, one of the things I realized is that if the spiritual stewards is going to lead an entire church, and I drew a a pie chart up on a piece of paper, going to lead an entire church, then we should, to the best of our ability, try to incorporate the makeup of an entire church on that leadership team. Because it's not okay to lead an entire church but only have this much of the pie chart filled in in terms of diversity of age, gender, marital status, thought, education, work. So our current stewards team went to work praying and fasting and asking God, God, would you show us who our next generation of spiritual stewards might be that would fill in this picture so that we could, like this church in Acts 13, have a larger perspective on the work you're doing in the local church and shape paradigms and hear from you in a way that speaks to our entire church. And it's been so fun through this process of prayer and fasting. God has brought together a team that is one of the more diverse teams we've ever had in terms of age and gender, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of education, in terms of marital status. We, we tried to really look at a number of different filters along with spiritual maturity and how to grow. So in just a second, I'm going to invite you to erupt in spontaneous applause because I want to introduce you to this team, and then I want us to pray over this team together as we get ready for a new season in ministry. So would you join me in welcoming our spiritual stewards up to the stage? love our tech team, man. You guys are so fun. So Diva's husband's on tech, and she was like, get us some walk-up music. Get us some walk-up music. Uh, I want to introduce this team to you. This is Rick DeCarly. We have Diva Shinzato, Ashley Parliament, Cody Martin, and Jason Reese. And this team represents a broad cross-section of our church, and I'm so excited about them. We've been praying and fasting and interviewing and asking big questions about who this next team should be. On this team as well, in a kind of an unofficial capacity, our founding pastor, Ron Hunt, 
is on this team because of the breadth of experience he has. And our executive pastor, Angela Lamb, is also on this team because she's the bridge, both in brilliance and insight, and she's the bridge that takes the things we're learning in the stewards team and translates them over to how we run day-to-day ministry with the staff. And so this is our next generation spiritual stewards team, and I'm so excited for you guys. And what I'd like to do, and if you're new to church, this might freak you out, and I apologize, but you're going to be okay. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pray over this team, and I'd like you to, if you would, just extend your hand out towards them in a way of saying, we're also praying along with you and praying for you. So would you join me? Would you just uh, join me in praying for this team? Holy Spirit, I believe it is you who has called this team together. It's you that is shaping this community. I'm thankful, God, for the team that you've brought I'm excited for the work that we will be doing as we shape paradigms that will affect the church for the next season of our church history, for the next 10 to 20 years. And I'm asking God that you would show us as a spiritual stewards team how to, how to discern and hear your voice very clearly. Would you form in us strongly held thoughts, ideas, and opinions, and then give us the courage to hold them before the community open-handedly so that you can shape and form them as we press into walking with you God, would you use this team to shape our paradigms and our thoughts in this next season? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thanks, you guys. Thank you guys for welcoming them onto our team. All right, let's jump back into our— I wanted to show you this team because it's so important, you guys— that you know who it is that is leading and shaping our community. So if you want more information, I'm going to get their profiles up on the website. You can see all that as well. But I want you just to see who it is that is shaping this community. Well, let's jump back in to our, uh, our text. And I want to talk about what happens in Acts 13. There's something very strategic and specific happening. Did you notice that the team gets together, these church leaders, and they hear from God? But what's happening when they hear from God? They're fasting and worshiping. And there's something really key in there. If we want to open the door for God to speak to us and increase the chances that we hear from God, there are a few things that they did that I think we'd be benefit from doing. The first is this. They slowed down. They were praying and fasting and worshiping. They slowed down. And if we want to hear from God, it's really important that we slow down and reduce the noise in our lives because it increases the chances that we can hear from God. Friends, you know this as well as I do. We live in a go, go, go culture where there's always noise. Always noise. If we want to hear from God, one of the things that we need to do is create the space in our lives to actually quiet the noise around us so that God will speak. I love the way that the psalmist says it in Psalm 46. He says, reduce your speed, slow down, be still, and then listen for God's voice. Another thing that I do when I'm trying to increase the odds that I can hear from God, and this might benefit you, is I read a passage of the Bible, and then I say to God, God, is there anything you want to speak to me through this passage? Is there something specific in here that you want to say to me? Is there a a calling or a direction you want to give to me? And then I just sit and listen. This is part of that slowing down process. If you want to increase the chances you can hear from God, then read your Bible. And then ask God, God, is there anything you want to say to me right now? And then maybe just sit for five minutes. And I'm telling you, if you do this enough, eventually God will speak to you. He'll give you a prompting and he'll give you a nudge. And then the third thing we can do to increase God's voice in our lives is to simply act on the promptings we've already had. 
Just act on the promptings that God has already given us. Learning to hear God's voice is a learned trait. It takes time. It takes practice. But one of the ways that we can, we can uh, understand more clearly that it's God speaking is when we do the things that God has said to do, and then God meets us in those moments, and we realize, oh, that was from God. Or we take a risk, and we do something we think God's saying to do, and we don't sense God in that. And here's the great thing. Pastor Ron taught on this a long time ago. Um, The great thing is, 99% of the time, when we make a misstep trying to follow God, it's not fatal. It doesn't kill us. God brings us right back gently to where he wants us to be. And so we just, um, we listen for the promptings God has given us, and we follow the promptings. When Jesus uses phrases like, be faithful in the little things, and I will be giving you more to come, part of what he's talking about in that process is, take a step. Try it. Engage with me. I love the way that verse 3 kind of rounds this story out. It says, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. And most scholars agree that these church leaders fasted and prayed, heard from God to send off Paul and Barnabas on mission, and then they went into another round of fasting and prayer to basically say, is that really you, God? And they prayed a second time, and they fasted, and they sensed, yes, it is, and then they sent them away. So what I want to do for the last little chunk of our time together is talk about five filters. When you think you've heard from God, what are five filters you can use to filter in God's voice and filter out other voices? And I got these filters. Some of them came from me and from people who have led me. Others came from books I've read. Bill Hybels has a really good book called The Power of a Whisper, and I put it in the bottom of your notes. And he talks about these five filters in his book. So if you want to do a little more study after this, that might be a good next step for you. But once we think we've heard God's voice, there are five filters, and I put them in the order of importance, order of operation. For example, you can't skip to number five if number one's not there. And number one will always be there if it's God speaking, Number three will usually be there, but not always. Does that make sense? Stare at me blankly if it does. Perfect. We'll get there, and it'll make sense in a minute. The first is this. If you think you've heard from God, ask this question. Does it line up with what God's already spoken in the Bible? Does it line up? God will never speak something to us that is counter to what he's already spoken to us in the Bible. He never will. Second thing that we want to think through is this. Oh, Just as a side note, this is why it's so important to read your Bible. It's not this rote thing we do every day. God has revealed himself to us. It opens a chance that we can hear from God and know that it is God the more we understand what God has said in his word. God will not tell you to go murder someone. If you read your Bible, it's pretty clear. So you just know that's not from God. Last week we talked about how we can rightly read and understand the Bible. We looked at that church from Berea. Remember that Paul says, these guys are more noble than the others because they took what I said and they tested it. They read the scripture, they searched it to see. And I talked some tips for us about how to actually read the Bible in this ever-changing time that we live in, in a way that helps us get God's wisdom. So if you want to check that out, you can find it online. I titled it, Getting Our Berea On. So it's about the Berean church, Getting Our Berea On. Check it out. The second thing is this, and this is often missed. Just ask God, is this you? Just ask. You get a prompting from God. What these leaders did is they went back and they asked, is that you? Hey, that's confirmation. The third one is this, and here's where we kind of move down 
And usually this filter is here, but not always. The filter is this, is it wise? Oftentimes God speaks to us in things that make sense, that are wise. Now, not always. Sometimes God tells us to do something and it's totally crazy. But if you came to me tomorrow and said, Kevin, God is telling me to be more generous with my money. So I'm going to take my 401k. I'm going to take all my money. I'm going to go to Vegas, put it all on black. Whatever wins, I'm giving it to the church. I would say, why? You would say, well, God told me to be generous. And I think God's saying to do it. And I would ask you this question. Is that wise? Now, again, it's not always the case. But if your 16-year-old came to you tomorrow and said, Dad, I'm in love and we should get married and we're getting married next month. You said to him, son, why do, you, why do you want to get married next month? Well, God told me. Well, how do you know? Well, I've got all these feelings in here. You would ask the question, is that wise? Now, I know a couple who got married, I think, when they were 16. They've been married for 40-some years now. So they sensed it from God. They did it. It did not look wise. So they, they can't be the last filter, but it should be a filter in the process. Again, we're trying to filter in God's voice. The fourth one is this. Is this prompting in tune with my character? I love the way that the author of Psalm 139 talks about God's knowing of us. He says, God was intimately connected with your forming and developing. He says, God knit you together in your mother's womb. That even from the point of conception, God was there working and designing and developing you. And God knows you, and God put things inside of you, and oftentimes God speaks to us in line with our character. So I love to talk, love to talk, always have loved to talk, got in trouble from school for talking, teachers got mad at me for talking. When God prompted me to be a preacher, it was very much in line with my character and who I am. My poor wife was raised by a dad who was a radio sportscaster, so he monologued all the time. She married a pastor, and I monologue all the time. It's tragic for her, but that's how God wired me. I remember the first time I went to India. Maddie, our daughter, was three months old, so brand new family, daughter home, newborn. I got an invitation to come to India, somewhere I'd never been, to do something I'd never done. And I'm an adventure guy. When I was in college, uh, my middle name is Douglas, and I started going skydiving and rock repelling. And every time I would do that, I made a superhero name. My superhero name was Douglas Danger. Because I love adventure. So when my son was born, I named him Landon Douglas Finkbeiner. And now he and I go on man adventures. It's Douglas Danger and Douglas Danger Jr. <laughs> God wired me for adventure. So when God prompted me to go to India, while well, some of you would have said, that's a horrible idea. You can't leave your wife at home with a newborn baby. I would say that's exactly how God has wired me. So I went, and it was awesome. And I'll tell you what, I've never enjoyed a 16-hour plane ride more than when I had a newborn baby at home crying all the time. (laughs) The fifth filter is this. Oh, hot tamales. All right. The fifth filter is this. What do the people that you trust most think about this? I keep saying, guys, church is a community. It's not a place we come once a week. The great gift of new life is it brings a lot of us together and gives us the opportunity to form safe relationships where we can talk about life, where we can engage together. The church does it through life groups, through ministry teams, 
But it could be that you just meet someone, you see them across the way, and they look like they'd be fun. You go out to coffee with them. But the church is supposed to, among other things, give us safe communities with other Jesus followers so that we can hear God's voice more clearly. And one of the filters that God gives us is community. Because sometimes God will tell you to do something crazy. It looks unwise. It's not in line with who you are. It's in the Bible, and you sense it's God saying it, but filters three and four don't fit. That's when you go to community. You say, what do you guys think about this? Because if it's crazy, but it's from God, then it's good crazy. And if it's crazy and it's not from God, it could be disastrous. I remember last October, I had one of those moments. This year, I'm, I'm doing more in ministry than I ever have in my life. Um, we've been working with f- starting the spiritual stewards team and really building them up. That's been a lot of work. We did this Wednesday night study through the book of Galatians that we called Mac. That was a lot of work on my part to get the study and the things ready to go through Galatians. That was a lot of work. We're about to hit year 20 as a church, and we've been dreaming about what the next 10 years are going to look like. It's been a ton of work, and I can't wait to share with you in September, October, we're going to have a whole visioning series about where we're going next, but it's been a ton of work. Well, in October, on a Friday night, I was sitting by myself, and I sensed God saying to me, I know you're doing a lot of work, but I actually think you should start a whole nother ministry outside of the church. And it was through this college ministry I used to be a part of that I love, InterVarsity. I love it. And I thought God was saying to me, you should go and be one of the key teachers to volunteer with InterVarsity and just teach there every week. And so I thought, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to go and teach more and preach. I love college students. So I took my wife out to dinner. I said, Maria, I've got this idea. I'm pretty sure it's from God. I think that God is saying I should go volunteer with InterVarsity and become one of the key teachers at Sonoma State. She looked at me and she said, that is no, no. That is not from God. Kevin, look at the things that God has already said for you to do. She said, Kevin, I'm pretty sure that's you wanting to go in and create, create more, but not in a healthy way. In a like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go back to those days, the glory days or whatever. But that's not you. Well, I can tell you that ended our date pretty quickly. I said, check, please. And I was pretty frustrated But the truth is, that was God's voice. Because that would not have been the right season. I I actually dream about a day when I might get to go back and start teaching again at the university. I love doing that. But not in this season. It would have actually hurt that ministry. It would have actually hurt our church with the things that God is trying to do. And it would have burnt me out. And so God was filtering that. God uses community to filter. A few closing thoughts as we wrap up. The first is this. Cut yourself some slack. Cut yourself some slack. If you don't feel like you hear from God regularly, cut yourself some slack. This is a learned trait. Start experimenting. Start exploring. God wants to speak to you, and he will. I'm reminded of a story that Mother Teresa tells in her book, Come and Be My Light. She talks about a time when she was serving in India, and she had this prolonged sense that God was absent and silent. Could you imagine being Mother Teresa in the slums of India, working with people who are dying all the time and the toll that takes on you. And then for some reason, and she didn't know why, God was just strangely silent for a season. You know what Mother Teresa did? She kept praying, kept asking God to speak, and she followed the last prompting God had given her, which was to serve in India. She chose to do what Jesus said, which is remain in me. Can you imagine how differently the story would have gone if Mother Teresa would have said, I'm not hearing from God right now and gone back home? 
But she remained. And eventually, God spoke again. So if you're here and you're thinking, I hear Pastor Ron talk all the time about God said this, God said that. Kevin's talking about the Holy Spirit prompted me to this or that. But I don't hear God. Cut yourself some slack. This is a journey with him, and it's a process. And the second thing I would say is this. Most of us in this room, I would say the vast majority, have heard from God at least one time in your life. It's the day you became a follower of Jesus. And you might have thought, well, the worship was just really moving, and that's why I gave my life to Jesus. You might have thought I sat down for coffee and someone explained and argued uh, the truth of Christianity really well. And intellectually, they answered my questions. That's why I gave my life to Jesus. You might have thought I came to a church and the pastor was convincing and engaging and funny and emotive. That's why I gave my life to Jesus. But the truth is, that's not why you gave your life to God. Those were vehicles that God used to meet you in that moment. But the Holy Spirit was the one revealing God to you in that moment. He was using various ways to do it. But when you gave your life to God, it was the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, today is your day. And maybe you're here this morning, and today is your day. That you've been coming to church for a while. You flirted with the idea of surrendering your life to Jesus. But you've never actually done it. And today, the Holy Spirit could be saying to you, today's your day to come to me, to allow God to be your leader of your life, the forgiver of your life, your Savior, your Heavenly Father. And if that's you, I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you, and I'm going to give you a chance to respond to him. So would you join me as we pray together? Holy Spirit, in the quiet of this moment, would you please speak? In a room this size, we have people who have crossed the gamut. Some this week have had a week of highs and exhilaration and joy, and life could not be better. Some of us this week have had experiences that have shattered everything that we thought was true. And quite honestly, many of us are in between those two extremes. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you. So even now in this moment, even today as we leave, would you be speaking to us a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a nudging of a next step that we've been scared to take, a directional change that you might have for us? God, would you speak to us and would you give us the courage to listen and respond. And I'm asking for my friends who are here today who are not yet part of your family, God, that you would speak to them right now. Reveal yourself to them that they would know that it's you who's calling them to yourself. And if that's you, friend, I want to pray right now and I want to give you a prayer. It's not some magic formula. There are no special words to say with it. It's simply a way to give voice to something that is going on in your life right now. And if you're ready to commit your life to God, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So God, would you come into my life and would you forgive me of my sin 
the ways I've hurt myself and hurt others and hurt you. God, would you begin to heal me of the places where the sin of others has caused pain to me? And would you fill me with your Holy Spirit, showing me what it looks like to walk this life with you? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.